I mean, one of, one of the interesting facts that both of us do is we're working with people and we have to get the trust of people and sometimes yeah. we have to get that trust very quickly. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you carry anything with you that, to show people or is it just your wonderful personality? <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to dig me out of that ditch from the, the <laughs> do you use teaching time to do your own work? <laughs> um, there was one instance um, last year where I just finished a body of work. Um, it was called 30 Years Ago, and it's been on exhibition. And um, it was basically, I had this idea looking through my legs one day to, to go back and photograph or find find miners and their families that I photographed 30 years ago and, and before that even. Uh, so I, I always remember, I came up with this great idea, right, I'm going to go back and I really want to do these nice portraits on the Hasselblad, you know, nice square pictures, um, reasonably formal. And um, so I thought, right, I'll start off in Mardi because I spent a lot of time in the Rhonda Valley there during the strike. I drove up um, to Mardi over the mountain, over Mardi Mountain, and I pulled into a lay-by and I thought, I haven't thought this through. How the hell am I going to do this? Because I'm just going to turn up and say, Hi, I'm Rog. It's 30 years ago. I took pictures. Do you know anybody? So I thought I was a bit flimsy. So I sat for about an hour on this mountain thinking, No, how am I going to do this? So anyway, I came up with a solution. I had my book of pictures and I went down into the, the village of Mardi which had lost their pit, the last mine in, in the Rhonda Valley was Mardi Colliery, and it's quite desolate now, you know, it's, it's not the place it was. Um, so I decided I saw a charity shop, I thought I'd go there first of all. So I saw these two ladies, and I took these pictures, and I, and I said, do you, uh, ladies, I'm a phot photographer, do you know anybody in these pictures? And um, they went, oh, that's so-and-so, that's so-and-so. I thought, oh, this is good. He's dead. Uh, she's dead. And they went through and I thought, this is not good. Um, but um, eventually she saw a picture with a lady uh, called Mary, who I photographed during the minor strike. She was um, an active uh, supporter, you know, her, her husband worked in Mardi Colliery, lovely couple. And um, she said uh, she lives in Blind Llechai. And I said, yeah, I remember that. I remember going there to her house. Oh, she's, she's still there. Um, so go up to Blind Clechai, which is on the side of the mountain, you know, overlooking Mardi and Rhonda and Ferndale. So I went up and, you know, I remembered the house from 30 years ago. It's funny you remember these things. I knocked on the door. I was quite nervous about this because I was thinking, you know, there's a bucket of water coming at me now. Um, so I had my little portfolio, but I looked like a traveling salesman or something with my book of photos. She answered the door and I saw I lost, I didn't know what to say. So there's this gap of silence. She just looked at me, I looked at her. And do you know what she said? She said, Roger, the photographer from Cross Keys. And I, I said, Mary, I couldn't believe she knew my name. She remembered where I originally came from. She remembered that I was a photographer. She said, come in. She said, I've just made carrot cake, the, the most, <laughs> the nicest carrot cake I've ever tasted in my life. It was beautiful. I'll make you a cup of tea. Um, so we talked and she said, oh, Harry, her husband had passed away. I was really upset. Lovely guy, really active during the minor strike. And um, 
we were talking and then I showed her the pictures and she said, um, oh, this is so-and-so, they live, you know, just down there. Um, I said, can I take a picture? She said, I prefer you not to. She was very, very ill, but I didn't really realise she was had cancer. And I said, she said, I prefer not to. I said, that's not a problem at all, Mary. Um, so couple of couple of days later i decided to write a letter and just thank her and saying it was lovely to meet a lovely carrot cake and then i carried on taking my little box of pictures and i met some lovely people again that i'd photographed like i say prior to the strike during the strike and the the project just evolved from there of just going back and it was lovely it was a really quirky way that you presented it then at at big pit wasn't it yeah yeah i didn't want the project to end I, I enjoyed it so much and I was so passionate about it. I didn't want it to end. I really enjoyed meeting these people again. So I was trying to find more and more. And I just thought, well, it's going to have to end at some time. So I, what I decided to do then was that when you talked about the miners, uh, when you talked to them, they talked about the pits and the days, the pit days in the pit, how much they loved it. Horrible job, hard work, dirty, dangerous. But they all said... I would do nothing else. If I had my life again, I would do nothing else but work in the pit. And um, so what I decided to do, I had these pictures. I thought, I'll make photocopies of them and make tiles so that you, you, I'd have about eight different tiles. You put it together and there's a portrait. And I'd go back to old colliery sites that they worked in and re-photograph them. So that's what I did. And then I approached Big Pit and they were really interested. And um, they said, we'll pay for big prints to be made. And I said, that, but they said, we haven't got a gallery. And I said, well, no, no, that's great. I'd like to put them around the pit outside in the walkways on corrugated um, boards. So it wasn't a flat surface. And that's what we did. The, the lovely thing about places like that, I've always wanted my pictures to be liked by ordinary people. If I could get miners, to go and see my exhibition that to me means a million pounds i don't want wine tasting cheese eating uh, gallery people you know oh yes oh i think that's wonderful um but I, I just like ordinary people to like my pictures and that's what i've always tried to do so i mean big pit i don't know how many thousands of people they get going through there so you get people emailing me taking selfies sending me selfies and it was really interactive, which I loved. It's great. But um, it's nice to exhibit in galleries. You know, it's, I, I'm not going to say it's an awful place to, to exhibit. It's nice and clean and you, you get nice quality prints. But I think, you know, uh, galleries tend to be, I, I don't know how to say this, but I, I think they'd be, they're away from the mainstream. There, there's a, a click that goes to galleries. I mean, I feel terrible to admit this. Do you know what? I've never, ever been to a photo gallery in Penarth. Never. Because the exhibitions on there don't really stimulate me to want to go. Um, whereas I was going down to photo gallery in the early days, in the 70s and the early 80s, and seeing these wonderful exhibitions. I mean, I was waiting outside for them to open the door. Now, um, a lot of the exhibitions, I think that are there don't really do it for me so you know things have changed and they call it sometimes they call it documentary photography but i, I don't get it 
And I was saying to you, Glenn, um, I did an MA sort of mid-career. Uh, I felt there was an MA photography course back at uh, Documentary Photography in Newport they were starting and they were running it part-time. So I thought, oh, I'll ask work, can I get a day off a week to do it? And uh, they agreed back in 1996. And um, I thought it'd be great, a mid-career thing to go back, take contact sheets, get them critted again, just like the old days. Um, and so I signed on this MA, they accepted me. Paul Seawright was the course leader. Nice guy, really nice guy, a lot of time for him. Ian Walker that was there when we were mm. at uh, Newport originally. <sighs> such a shock, such a shock. It was, um, there, was uh, there was about 10 students in the group on this part-time course. There was about three students that had just come off the degree course, the degree in documentary photography. They were mature students, um, they weren't youngsters. And they were talking this language I didn't really understand. I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that. And they bring out a print, one of them in particular, brings out a print of a crisp packet on the floor and comes out with this, I'll be honest, utter bullshit, with some big words chucked in, to explain this photograph of this crisp packet on the floor. I, I just thought, I don't get it. And then they started going on about this thing called semiology, which you haven't heard of. Have you heard of that, boys? It's something to do with the brain works when they see visual. Well, I, I just didn't get it. I didn't get it in this lecture. <laughs> it's two hours on this a semiotic, semiology, whatever it's called. I came home to my wife. I said, I don't get this. I don't get this word. They, they want us to write an essay now. I haven't got a clue. She's she's gone a master's degree in art, so she knows a bit more. Oh, she said, yeah, yeah, this is about this. So that she explained it to me, and she went, "Is that enough now for your essay?" I said, "What have you just said? I don't get it." She said, "I'll write the essay for you." <laughs> I got out of that one, but oh, I tell you what, this course, Glenn, this course was. This seems to be a continuing theme of you getting other people to do the work for you. <laughs> I can press a button on the camera. <laughs> That's what I seem to do. And then everyone else does everything for me. But um, that MA course was, was very strange. I was, it was great because um, the Tower book, I was, uh, it was every other week, the course, but the college gave me off every day, you know, a day off a week. So in between the, the course of every other week, I was going to Tower Colliery. But this, um, this one day, I did a morning shift at Tower Colliery, so I went underground, and the course started at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, so it was great. Came up, went down to Kyleon, and um, went in. Of course, I'd had a shower uh, from, from coming underground, but of course, you, you keep the black around your eyes. There's rims of black of coal. So I go into the lecture, and there's this lady, one of the ones off the degree course, you know, a documentary photography, it's really well-spoken, posh, owned a castle in Ireland, of all things. She went, where have you been then? I said, oh, I'm doing this book on tower clothes. She went, oh, not another book on coal mining. And that, I just thought, this is so alien to me. <laughs> but fair play to Paul C. right? You know, when, when I had a crit with him, he said, so I said, I, look, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I was still shooting black and white. I said, do you think I should do this colour thing, this, these colour photos that you all got. 
And he said, no, stick to what you do, stick to what you do. And then I got commissioned to go to America to do the Appalachian coal camps, and I stuck to that. And um, I, I, that carried me through the MA, the practical side. You had to write a dissertation of 20,000 words. Um, Ian Walker said, he said, you're not a writer, are you? And uh, so he didn't like my write-up. No, but, but, but even, even doing this, which you obviously didn't enjoy that much, led to something that you obviously did enjoy by going to America. It was nice to see how photography had um, changed, documentary photography, from the days that we were there at Newport. And I don't think there's one student that went through the original Newport course that has a bad thing to say about it. Um, I certainly wouldn't say anything bad about the, the two years. But it was a two-year course, which I feel is enough to teach a student to be a photographer. I think that um, students should uh, learn other things about life on top of just being a photographer. Yeah, the, dif the difference was, though, Roger, that at that time, almost three-quarters plus was practical. Yeah. We were out taking pictures critted, all the time. And, and that... Um, theoretical side was at a minimum. Yeah. Whereas I think it's the other way around now. Yeah, it's a lot of theory time is class, it's all theory. Much. Yeah. So yeah. two years, if you're taking pictures every day, is long enough. But yeah. because there's so much theory involved now, that, that that's the, the problem. Yeah. I think in my career, photography has been a, a fraction of what you should be to be a photographer. I think you need to know. I mean, you know, we talked about my work, and I think. You need to know about politics, geography, um, literature, English language, communication, how to communicate with people. It seems these days that a lot of students coming through haven't got the ability to communicate. Um, I, I've got to tell you this example. I, I get emails from students asking to do work experience and stuff like that, which I tend not try not to do. Um, but I get emails as well where they're asking me questions. Uh, I can't answer most of them because they've got 20 questions that you need to spend a day answering on email. This one guy, a um, couple of years ago, he, he wrote this email, I love your work, it's so sensitive, the minors, everything you've done, you know, how do you get to people lovely, the way that you use a wide-angle lens all the time, that you're really close to these people and you don't even know them. Um, he said, I love your 30 years project that you're working on. Um, I want to do a similar thing. So I thought, right, so the next paragraph, can you give me all the contact details that you have of the miners that you've met? Um, I had to answer it. It was quite short. It's a dear whatever, student, whatever his name was. The second word was off, full stop, send. I just thought, you cheeky sod. I spent weeks, months doing research and you just want me to give everything that I've worked to get to you. And I was thinking, I bet some lecturer somewhere, he was studying up in um, somewhere in Liverpool, or, or the middle of England there somewhere, a photography course. He was doing his final degree, uh, final year degree, major assignment. So this was his major assignment. And I bet some lecturer said to him, write to this guy in Wales, he's done all this, um, try and get some details off him, we'll put that down as primary research, that you've actually contacted a proper person, a human being, and you've got all his <laughs> contacts. 
you know, what, what's the world coming to? I mm. mean, come on, Glenn, we've done all our own research. We've done, you yeah. know, whatever you've done, whatever I've done, you don't go asking somebody else, another photographer, or give me all your contact details. Crazy. Couldn't yeah, believe it. it Couldn't seemed, believe it. It seems to be a problem of a generation, I think. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about a bit about America, because that took you to foreign clients and obviously doing similar work, though. Yeah. Yeah, these things come purely, I, I don't know how they evolve. Somebody sees your work and they get interested by it. And then they contact you and say, oh, we'd like you to come out to America. And then it, weeks go by and you think, well, you know, that's that's that gone. You know, we, we get used to that, don't we? Um, but then they say, right, so we got the dates for you to come out to America. And and that's how it worked. I went to um, a university. To, they wanted me to present some lectures. And um, they also wanted me to work on a project, which was great. And um, so they, they said, it's open. You know, we, we're down in the southern Appalachians around eastern Kentucky, West Virginia, around that area, Tennessee. Um, what do you want to do? We got coal mining down here. So if you want to do something on coal mining, you, you could do that. And I said, yeah, that, that's what I probably do. Um, so they, I went there, they give you the free run, you get, you get your hire car and you just go in search of people that, so they point you in the right direction of certain, um, places, coal camps, they call them. You turn up, uh, there's a place called war in West Virginia. Uh, it's crossed between like Scooby-Doo and it, it was a bit crazy. It was like going back into the 1950s. It's not the America we see on TV. So you pull up and there's the war hotel, you go in, there's all these really old pictures of mines and stuff on the on the one side. You ring the bell and there's no answer. This really antiquated hotel. This woman comes out and she she's about 150, something like that. Yes. Uh, I'd like a room, please, for a few days. A room? Yeah. <laughs> um, so she finds a pen eventually. And she writes in the book, and you can see the book is empty and has been for the last 30 years. <laughs> um, so you go up to your room, and it's it's like um, the bed looks like it really does need clean sheets, but there we are <laughs> somewhere. And um, it's really old-fashioned. And you could see this this hotel would have been used by people coming in. So it would have been quite a, a prosperous place when in the mining days, you know, so you get people coming in to, to work at the mine and et cetera. So, but it hadn't changed since then. It was very Scooby-Doo. And um, <laughs> yeah, so you get, you start talking to people then and, you know, they loved it. This was back in the original time I went to America. It was 1997. So we didn't have Facebook. I mean, I'm on Facebook a lot now with these people and, you know, they're lovely people and the world is really closed in. So what sort of story did you research before you'd gone, you know, before you started taking? I was interested in women coal miners that um, worked out in, in those mines. Um, they, they took a percentage of women coal miners. So that was the original idea. Um, but as the project evolved, it um, I just got interested in photographing the, the towns, the coal camps, because the areas were still owned by the coal uh coal mining uh, company so their houses or shacks they call them the actual land was owned by the coal company so if the coal company said get off they'd have to go i was interested in all that and the, and the way 
that they'd suffered like us in in the valleys that the mines had gone and that um you know it uh it was desolate uh, even so even worse there because you're out in in the mountains where the nearest town or city you know 400 miles away so it's not like here you can go to swansea 17 miles down the road you talk in a big thing and the, and the nice thing in 1997 because of there weren't any facebook things and all that they loved the accent so straight away you know they had this deep southern accent which my wife and i loved you know where you're from and uh Luckily, a colleague of mine at college said, have you, have you seen the film Deliverance before I was going? <laughs> and I said, no. And then I, we were going then, so it was too late. So I bought the film Deliverance after. I'm glad I didn't see that before. But the people were nothing like that. They were lovely, fantastic people. And, and as soon as you said, we come from a similar coal mining place like this, they thought I was Swiss. A few people said, are you from Switzerland? And I said, no, I said, I'm from Great Britain. Um, where's that? Europe. Where's that? This is 1997. Um, so Wales, you know, Wales is the country. Where's that? England? Oh, yeah, the Queen, you know. And I had to say England, being a Welshman saying England. Oh, shocking. But... Um, you know, it, it. yeah, the people were fantastic. And that's what I like about doing it, is photography gives us an excuse to meet people that you otherwise wouldn't meet. And that is the magic for me. The camera is my excuse. I love photography. I love to take the ultimate picture, which I will never do. But I'm always chasing that ultimate picture. But the, the big thing is being able to meet people and, you know, talk to them, uh, talk about similar things, listen to their life stories, their interests. That's what does it for me. Having said that, I'm going to totally contradict you and talk about your coast, <laughs> <laughs> where there's not a person in sight, um, yeah. which I, I, I personally absolutely love that set of pictures. Um, they are so different. They are looking at the subject in a totally different way. Yeah, and to see an exhibition of the work, I thought was just terrific. Oh, thanks, guys. And there's nothing worse than going into a photographer's house and seeing their own work on their walls. It's got to do something. It's got to go somewhere. <laughs> but um, just tell you us were nearly going to have a chocolate biscuit then, but you just blown it. <laughs> they, they're, they're closer to me than you. So I'm okay. Um, just tell us a bit about that, because that was another Welsh Arts Council grant, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, as I said earlier, it's, it's landscape. Um, sometimes I'd get the surge to do some landscape. The underlying theme to all my work, I think you brought up when we spoke the other day, was industry. Um, I love industry um, in all its, its different uh, genres, if you like. But um, I think I wanted to do something in colour, because I, the majority of my work has been black and white until recently. I wanted to do something on digital because I'd used film um, all the time. And I thought, everyone seems to be using digital. I better start trying to work it out. So um, that was a two factors from that point of view. I thought, where would other photographers not really photograph when what sort of time would they not be photographing well obviously night is one so i thought about that and i thought about 
well, the coastline, I love the Welsh coastline. We, we spend a lot of time walking on the Welsh coastline. And I just wondered then about what sort of industries were left on the coastlines, you know, because um, the, the docks in South Wales, well, they used to import, uh, import pit props, export coal. Wonder what goes on there. Um, what do they do in Mid Wales? Fishing seems to be struggling. All sorts of industries seem to be struggling. So I started doing my research around that and, and photographing at night. Some of the exposures were up to two hours. And because they were in pitch black, we were in places where it was just black. You know, the skies were black. Um, the exposures were up to two hours and then the camera starts recording things that the natural light, the human eye can't see, which I become interested in. And my wife, lovely again, she used a spot lamp to paint light onto certain areas because the exposures were so long. She's actually in the pictures, but you can't see her because she's moving around and she's painting light. Are we going um, back to girling here where that... Technical, technically... isn't it? Technical stuff. Yeah, yeah technical. Um yeah, I think you do go around, you know, in a circle sometimes. You need to get that thing. Love doing the project. Loved it. Um, it was it a year's project? Was a year's project. Yeah. It took a year to do. Uh, loved doing it. Loved going to places in Wales that I'd never been to. Um, there was a place in Milford Haven, the Mines Depot. Um, they used, I think, in World War Two. you know, the big sea mines that they used to put out to stop German boats, U-boats and so on. They used to put the detonators on in a factory in Milford Haven, and the factory was still there. I don't know if it's there now, um, but uh, it was derelict. Uh, it had been used by other things since since the World War II. Um, but, you know, to get to see these places and this derelict factory, and my wife painting light, and I, you've probably been to Milford Haven many a times, and you get these massive oil tankers coming in. I'm sure my, my wife, when she was painting light, those oil tankers seemed to be turning towards us. <laughs> So I said, switch it off, switch it off. They think they, we tell them to come over here. Bloody massive oil tanker. So, but yeah, it was great fun. It was cold, doing it, nighttime, creepy. Um, you've obviously been by the uh, second seven bridge there, uh, down on the bank by the, the Mega side where you used to live. And um, pitch black there. And all of a sudden you can hear the tide coming in. And I'd never known the tide to come in so quick. Mm, I was stood... Yeah. And one minute it was dry, the next minute I said, Ange, I can hear water. It's <laughs> a bloody tide coming in. So, yeah, it, it, was, good. it was a good project to do. And yeah, I, I have to come back again to the beginning where <laughs> I mentioned that there were three people. Um, Tony Watson being the first, David Hearn being the second. And I know that a person that helped you with this particular project, again, is such a big influence on me is Chris, Chris Wilson. Wilson, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Um, the the wonderful thing about um, he ran the Cannon Valley Museum and uh, Art Gallery, a fantastic place up in Aberdeer. Um, that this went touring. It went to London. It, it went abroad as well. Um, it went to the Art Centre in Aberystwyth. Uh, one the most successful part of the tour was at the uh, Cannon Valley Museum and Art Gallery. I sold a load of prints. I'm not really into selling prints, I'll be honest, but um, the, the amount of people that came to see the exhibition, um, he did say that it was very, very popular. 
was fantastic. The gallery was superb. Chris Wilson um, helped me with my Arts Council funding um, because uh, they come up with all this criteria now where you have to have match funding or, or some sort of sponsorship. So he, he did that. Um, and I find that very difficult because when you're applying for a project that you haven't done and you haven't got anything to show, how are you supposed to get somebody to say, yeah, we, we'll give you two grand towards that. It sounds good, you know, but you haven't got any work to show for that project. I find that very difficult. But um, Chris Wilson was willing to do that. And um, yeah, that was a fantastic exhibition, beautifully um, shown. Uh, like I say, loads and loads of people. I think it had quite big footfall in in in, in that. Are you thinking? Um, and did it, did you produce a book from it, or are you thinking of it? Yeah, books, Glenna. They become more difficult now um, to self-publish. Now I don't think I would take the risk because I think with the internet and with e-books and um, these these books blurb and stuff. I think it's very difficult. Photography books are very expensive to produce. And to put the funding in to maybe not sell. I mean, miners' books, I think I, I was quite confident they'd sell. Industrial coastline of Wales, I'm not so sure if they'd sell in the quantities that we sold the miners' books and, and the mm. Grizz and Slitland as well. So it's a risk. Um, approaching publishing houses, well, they must have hundreds of applicants every day. I didn't do it. I didn't try it. Perhaps I should. But um, I just thought commercially it may not have the, you know, the boomf that you need really to get a book published in a commercial publishers that they'll take the risk. So I think the publishing, the, the book thing has changed quite a lot. But uh, there's a, there's a book trying to go through at the moment, but that's with one of the, the the commissioning people that can you I talk just about didn't... that now or is it still a secret well i was um i was commissioned to go up to kellingly which was the last deep coal mine in the uk um just before christmas they phoned me up and they said um oh we've seen your work you know you you were the guy that photographs the mines you go underground you photograph that and um they said can we commission you for a couple of weeks before Callingly closes. And I said, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to. That's, that's my dream assignment. You know, if it was photographing topless women in Bermuda or doing the Callingly, the last deep coal mine, I would have gone for Callingly, the last deep coal mine. Roger, come I, don't, home. I don't believe you, Roger. Uh, yeah, but I would have come home and gone to Bermuda. <laughs> but don't tell the wife. Um, but... Uh, no, so it was great, and uh, it was like reliving the eighties for me. Uh, I I remembered my, I, you know, I said about the picture editor um, from the time saying they chucked soap in Yorkshire at him. I was in the pit at bars, and I was thinking, oh bloody hell, they're going to chuck soap at me. But they were such lovely blokes. They were absolutely fantastic, and I went underground on a few shifts. There's a couple of Welsh miners up there that were working. Obviously, they've all lost their jobs now. Is uh, is that's it? That's the end of coal mining, deep coal mining, in Britain. What are you going to do now? That's what they said. That's what the <laughs> film company said. It was a film company in um, London that commissioned me, and they're trying to get it published into a book. But they are approaching publishers, and I'm out of that. But whether or not they'll 
have success is I'll know in the next couple yeah. of weeks. Oh, but um, good luck with that. I they wanted the exclusive rights with the pictures, um, which was a bit. In a way, I agreed, so I stick to it. I stick to it. I can't show anybody the pictures. I'm quite pleased with the pictures, but I can't show them. Um, but slightly disappointed because um, they could have been published time and time again, you know, in the last couple of weeks. Um, certainly on the last day, there was a lot of press photographers that I was saying about the motor drives and stuff. And the, there were journalists coming up to me saying, can we get your pictures? You know, you, we know that you've been here for two weeks. Can we get your pictures? And Reuters came up to me um, and I said, no, I can't. I'm an exclusive to, to the phone company. I can't. So they haven't been seen. Phone company's seen them, and I've got them, but that's it at the minute. Okay. So we just wait then, see what happens. Yeah, well, good luck with that. I, I want to go, go back to the same time as the, the Coastline Project, because regardless of all the brilliant work you've done, I think probably the most important thing you did in 2012 was come and talk at the iFestival. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, I've never seen a more petrified face before going out to talk. Yeah. Yeah. But you did a good job. <laughs> I that personality again, you see. I'm used to talking. Um I'm not a confident person. I'm way I'm I'm not confident in and the way I cover it up is to try and look happy and like I'm Jack the lad. That's my way of hiding and, and, and my lack of confidence. Um but the eye festival I've given talks like it before. You know, the one in Bournemouth next month is going to be like it. But the thing that worried me with the Eye Festival was you forgot to tell me that David Hearn would be there, Daniel Meadows would be there, um, Eamon McCabe, and all these people that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. And all of a sudden, I've got to go up and talk about my photos. And um, that worried me, yeah, that worried me. But what I, what I tend to do, I, the secret this is, but I, I went behind the curtain before the talk while you were scoffing sandwiches lunchtime. Mm -hmm. And um, I do some exercises, punching and like breathing and to try and think, you know, I've got to get myself from shaking. Yes, <laughs> I'm going to fall over. So that's what I did. I was behind the curtain on the stage, punching the curtain. And, but um, no, I was petrifying. Thanks for that one, Glenn. But uh, I enjoyed it. And people enjoyed it. I Did mean, they? so many people said that it was, you know, one of the most enjoyable talks that we had. So, Oh, there we are. Yeah. The but chocolate yeah. biscuit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, with photography, photography is very individual, very um, self thing. I, I, I just realized, though, that a lot of the work you've done, you've taken your wife with you. Yeah. But do you miss that camaraderie, if you like, with... Uh, other people like you had maybe in you must have friends in the teaching industry that you that you had people to talk to other jobs you might work alone and when you came to the eye there were other photographers that were great to talk to and I mean how do you find that mixture of of talking to people and mixing with people and then working alone I've got photographers um, a handful of friends less than a handful maybe two that I call friends. Um, you're not one of those. <laughs> I gather that. <laughs> you were one of those. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Roger. And I find it very, not difficult, but I like ordinary people. 
I don't like, I, I find a lot of photographers are so far up their own asses. I can't take that. I'm not a person that can just listen and, and say, oh yeah, yeah, that's great for you. I'd say, you're talking a load of shit, good boy. And probably a headbutt or a punch afterward. But I, I, I enjoyed the eye. I mean, I have massive admiration for David Hearn and f- for, for those kind of photographers. I love your work. Um, it's something that is different to mine and it's nice to catch up. When I was uh, as a Kelly, like I say, and the last day the press were there, there was Getty, there was Rex, all the local rags from Yorkshire. Um, there was a Chinese Times. It, it came from all over the place. Now, those guys agitated me. They agitated me in the fact that if any of them pushed me, I don't like being pushed around and I would have swung probably. So I'm not good with that kind of environment. I'm not in the press pack. I'm not the paparazzi. I don't want to be for for whatever money. I just don't want to be that. Um, It's nice to speak to people. I I don't like going to gallery openings because I find them pretentious. I find them false. Um, I find them difficult to to be there. I'd much rather go to a rugby club, a social club, whatever it is, and talk to people that have done different things in life. But that's not to say I don't admire any other photographers, but I do. I spend a lot of time looking at books. Um, I spend a lot of time, like your work, I was looking at your book the other night, and I just love the work. You know, I, I, I learn from it. I learn a lot from it. But when you get these people, like I was saying on the MA, I found it very difficult, I very difficult to, to, to make friends. But we weren't there to make friends at the end of the day. But to listen to them and the shit they were coming out with sometimes um, with very mediocre photos that I didn't understand and the reason why they had to give this big explanation to a photo when a photo is visual and it's supposed to speak for itself, I couldn't understand that concept at all. I just I I just can't subscribe to that. So in answer to your question, I think I like working alone. I like the freedom. I like to walk. I like to walk on the mountains, you know, alone um, and take pictures. Um, that means a lot. The people I, I get real a big buzz from liking my pictures. I said about big pit and mine is going up and saying, Oh, your pictures, Rod, you know, we went to see your pictures. That means so much to me. There's, there's, um, there's a story that I was photographing last March up in, um, in the online, uh, welfare hall. It was to do with the pride, the reunion, the minus from, from, uh, Dallas and the, the gays and lesbians came down to, to have a re-meet, you know, a reunion. This young lad came up to me, 27. His name is Carwin Donovan. He actually worked up in Kellingley. Uh, he's just lost his job now. And he said to me, he said, are you Roger? And I said, yeah. He said, I'm Carwin. And I said, hello, Carwin. He said, um, your book on Tower, he said, inspired me to go and work in the pit. Um, a lawyer's from a fourth generation of miners. His, his father was actually Di Donovan, who's portrayed in the film. But um, 
For him to say that my photos inspired him to go to work in a pit is the biggest accolade that I can ever achieve. It, um, it upsets me. He said it a few times. It always upsets me to think that my pictures were powerful enough to for him to, to look at them and think, yeah, I want to work underground. I'm going to work underground. Can I take that on a step? Because it is it is lovely to have people um, look at your work and think that they, it's moved them to do something. But sometimes I think the work that, especially the work that you've done, is also an, a, an historical statement, whereby in 100 years' time, 200 years' time, 300 years' time, they're going to become more and more and more important mm. because what you've done is captured decades yeah. of an industry, the decline of an industry. So it becomes more important the longer it goes on. Do you ever think of it in that way? It's, it's, yeah, it's like leaving a legacy. Um, and that, that really inspires me. You've, you've hit the nail on the head there, is to, to think that these pictures will run on and on and the picked some of the, the I mean we we all know that um, the world is flooded with pictures these days images, um, but they become throwaways in in effect, and pictures that you've taken of um, like the mining industry, for example, in my case, are going to be very historic, and they'll, hopefully they'll continue through for. 100, 200 years when I'm well gone. And how do you archive that? I mean, how will people see them in two or 300 years' time? Well, this is difficult, isn't it, Glenn? Because, you know, the Philip Jones Griffiths thing um, with his pictures, and it seemed to me, and I, I may be wrong, I, I Philip Jones Griffiths is a real icon and somebody I love. But, um, you know, his pictures, I think it was difficult to find a home for them. And they've gone up to Aberystwyth now, up to the National Library, which is fantastic. But who knows? They could my neg files. I've, I don't know how many neg files I got uh, here, but I don't know fifty or sixty maybe. And they may be thrown into a skip. Who knows? Who knows? That's down to my daughter, and if she has children, it's down to them. But they might think we don't want this crap. Let's chuck it away in the skip. Um, you have to live with that, I suppose. Um, but there will be avenues, you know, on the internet and, and the internet will continue to be developed where my pictures will hopefully live for a long time and all our pictures will live for a long time. I suppose that's the way, isn't it? Digitally, things are going to be the way forward, the way people are going to see in the future. But, you know, I, I look at pictures of the valleys 100 years ago taken. I love them. You know, Francis Frith stuff, the... You know the wonderful pictures that you can look back at at places that are never going to be there again, coal mines that are never going to be there. You know all sorts of stuff. I love that thing. But yeah, it's a really good question. I I hope, I hope that my daughter will keep those neg files and pass them on to somebody who will archive them properly, like the National Library or the National Museum of Wales. Hopefully, that. They, but they might say no we don't want this this crap you know just bin it you know not mm. not for the money it's just to keep it running you know to keep these negatives running well it's also to keep this era alive in a, yeah. in a sense yeah yeah but um this there's, there's so much you know certainly in this decade there's so many visual things around i mean they're pouring out on iphones and 
um, it's, it's it becomes a minefield to to actually find the good stuff that you want to keep from the other stuff. You know, do you know what I mean? So yeah, hopefully uh, there'll there'll be a long lasting uh, legacy for for my pictures mm. and for not just me, but for for other photographers and artists of that spent so much time in in you know giving their lives to to document in these things at this period of time. Um, not just in this country or Africa and stuff, you know, it needs to be kept. It needs to be stored away and made available to future generations. I mean, 30 years flown by. Oh, God. Absolutely flown by. Oh, crazy. And I was, crazy. I was sort of going to finish, if you like, by asking a question that maybe you've answered so many times about what Newport, from the very beginning, has given you. But... Newport was just the start, and your career has evolved and evolved and evolved over so many different, and you've travelled down so many different roads. And I'm going to answer the question I'm almost asking you by reading what you've got on your website. And, and then, oh my God. Again. And just, Which website is this? And just get, <laughs> get your sort of views because I think you've answered it so many times but I think you've put it very well on your website when you say I have a passion and a dedication for documentary photography my work has allowed me to meet and photograph so many wonderful people it is a privilege and an honor to be able to do that mm. and I think you've summed it up so much do you think in that paragraph yeah it's it's been a great life I mean I suppose I'm in the I don't know final third of my career <laughs> Um, but uh, I, I wouldn't have done anything else. Um, I'm still as passionate today as I was when I first picked up the camera with Tony Watson on my A-level course. Um, I still have that passion and urge. Um, that, you know, the students used to say to me sometimes, you know, you, you'd say, right, you're going to do a major project. And they say, well, what can I do that on? Well, I've got books upstairs notebooks full of ideas that i'd have to live about three times 300 years to carry out some of those projects um, i've never been short on ideas um, i get ideas all the time it's, it, it really annoys me because um, you, you're never gonna have time to do them life is is not long enough to do them but you know for what i've done in the past and for the people i've met and that's that as i say that's the main thing I've thoroughly enjoyed doing what I've done and I've made a career from it, which is an added bonus, you know, but um, absolutely brilliant people I've met and in the next few years or so, I'll meet more. But um, when I finished my teaching, you know, 27 years lecturing full time, you the last couple of weeks before I was finishing, that I'd given my notice, I was thinking, what am I going to do? Um, so I thought, right, I'll do all my hobbies. I'm going to have loads of time. I can stay in bed. I'm going to learn to cook. I can't cook. Um, yeah, do my hobbies, cycling, walking. I do a lot of walking anyway. Um, but it became apparent very quickly that what I really wanted to do was take pictures. And um, since I finished six months ago from full-time lecturing, people have been really kind to commission me and... and you know, give me some money to, to do the things that I really want to do and love doing. So, yeah, it's been brilliant coming out of teaching 
has been a, a big boost for me as a as an individual person you know um because i like i say education has gone crazy it's gone absolutely crazy and i feel very sad i feel sorry for that because it um photographic ed education should be taught in such a way that we were taught and not in this scientific way where you've got some idiot in london education minister or in cardiff saying you need to teach this way you need to do this you need to do that you need to fill in this paperwork you need bums on seats you need a pass rate you need a hundred percent pass rate that doesn't make a photographer unfortunately and that's why i think from the limited work that's available um because the, the you know there's a lot of photographers around now so-called inverted commas photographers um that are pretty pretty awful what they do but they are milking the waters for for people who are very good and who should be getting the work i i think they they are very much milking the waters and picture editors are probably fed up with seeing photographers and you know um, so there's a lot of things that need to change in education but as from personal level i came out at the right time i loved my lecture and loved the students there's some colleagues i have a lot of time for great great people um there's a lot i don't i really dislike i never ever want to see again um but um as far as photography goes i think you know we that's all i want to do for the rest of my life until i get ill or drop dead you know it, it became quite apparent as i say after my teaching days that the maximum the most amount of time i want to spend on something is clicking a button <laughs> so um yeah there we are so okay roger you're starting to rabbit now so <laughs> <laughs> as you said on your website it's been a privilege and an honor for you to work in that industry and to oh i thought people. you meant to meet you then <laughs> i was gonna finish on that <laughs> but really speaking thank you so much for your time today it's been absolutely wonderful Diokhan Val, nice to meet you again, buddy. Cheers, buddy. All right, take care, bye.